Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey friends, welcome to the Bustle Huddle. I'm Caitlin Aber, your host and senior features editor here at Bustle. This week's episode, we're shining a spotlight on witchcraft. Witches have been a part of our cultural narrative since Salem? Shakespeare? Actually, even further back than that. But recently, we've noticed that a certain type of witchcraft, crystals, altars, tarot cards, is definitely having a moment. Things that you only used to be able to find at occult bookstores and hippie towns are now a constant occurrence in our Instagram feeds. Today, we're looking into how young women are exploring the occult more openly than ever before, and how the public consumption of what was once a hidden practice can be both positive and problematic. You'll hear from Bustle editor and aspiring witch Gabby Moss, spiritual healer and bruja Natalie Farfan, and writer Casey Halter, whose practice is a family affair. But before we begin, here's a clip from one of our favorite witchy movies of all time. Well, I said that they're stiff as a board. How do I get down? Shh. <sighs> Who's got the instructions? Just keep concentrating. Ah, uh, yes, the craft. I'd like to welcome Gabby Moss to the studio to discuss. So, Gabby, you told me that you had a really funny role model growing up. Who was it? Um, it was Feruza Bulk in the craft, the first half of the craft, not the second half of the craft where everyone, you know, goes crazy on their snakes and stuff. What was it about her character? Well, the craft came out around when I was 11 or 12, and my friends and I were immediately obsessed, you know, by the idea of these other uh, kind of powerless girls like us who had, you know, suddenly they were able to, like, control the universe and also, like, look very cool. Like, they all looked like they were in bands. Feruza just seemed like she was just the coolest at all. I mean, she was the head witch. Who doesn't want to be a head witch? <laughs> I want to be the head witch, <laughs> like everywhere. Do you think the craft had any impact on like why young women, millennials, want to be witches today? Oh, my God, of course. Like, I saw the craft on Saturday with my best friend Jessica. Then on Sunday, I went to the mall without her and bought, like, all silver jewelry and black lipstick and, like, a book about how to be a witch for teenagers. It's called Teen Witch. And um, and then I went to school on Monday and saw she had done all the same exact things. So um, we didn't stick with it, but I'm sure plenty of people did. Do you think the craft influenced, or how has it influenced your personal style? Definitely influenced my personal style in that I am uh, pushing 40 and I still dress like a goth teenager. Um, I think it just imprinted on my mind that like basically dressing like a teenage witch who attends Catholic school is just the coolest the coolest way anyone could look. I did not ever try to hex anybody because the lesson of the craft is that it will come back at you times three. Do you think there's some connection between growing up, you know, in the suburbs and wanting to like be different in the way that the people in the craft were? I mean, yeah, for me, I think there there definitely was um, you know, growing up like 
in these very vanilla suburbs in Connecticut and I was already like considered kind of different like my you know my parents were divorced which was like unusual at the time and you know we had less money than other people and so your differences already really popped and the appealing thing about being different like the craft was you know could you turn these differences into advantages are these differences actually advantages are the things that people tell you make you weird and unpopular actually the things that will like give you the power to control the world you know that was sort of the very appealing fantasy there that they were all girls who had been marginalized by a very suburban kind of school girls watch out for those weirdos <laughs> we are the weirdos mister if you could say one thing to Feruza Balk what would it be it would be that I love her twitter and I think she did great work on the island of Dr. Moreau and it doesn't get enough credit So today's generation of witches in training don't have the craft, but they do have songs like Princess Nokia's Brew House. Like anything with deep historical roots, it's important to recognize the fine line between what is cool and what is the commercialization of a culture. Natalie Farfan, a self-proclaimed bruja and host of the witchy podcast Murado Lens, runs La Bruja's Club, a monthly meeting at the New York City feminist bookstore, Blue Stockings. Bustle's books editor, Christina Ariola, sat down with Natalie to learn more. So I guess we should start at the very beginning, okay. which is, what does being a bruja or a witch mean to you? Being a bruja is about tapping into your intuition. Um, being a bruja is about understanding where your ancestors came from and telling that story with as much precision and passion as possible so that your roots never die. Um, I think that's where we should ground ourselves. That should be the foundation. So have you always um, felt this strongly by your intuition or was that sort of a growing process for you? Really, it started with my mother. She was a bruja. She did practice Santeria. Um, She did read the tarot. Um, At a very young age, she had me go to a lot of these rituals and ceremonies. And I remember her one time giving me like these necklaces that were her babalao gave her and they were to protect me and I remember like the minute she left the house and she went to work me looking up to God and being like is this the right direction for me I was like 10 and I remember hearing the word no like in my head like like, no throw that out and I remember taking it out of my hands out the window and praying to God to save me of these demons that my mother is bringing into my life and I remember throwing like literally flicking that in out the window somewhere like a baseball player and thinking how much my mother was going to like be upset when she got back because she paid a lot of money for this bracelet, not because it's made out of gold, but it's been healed by this babalao. So there went $500 and she was kind of upset. I told her it broke at the time. And when something pops like that, it means that something bad was going to come get you and that protected you. Oh, okay. So in her mind, her she $500 was like, okay, I, well spent. Well spent, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, what a, you know, it's, some of it becomes business. So even within the Santeria worlds of practitioners of many years, there's this business side. And you have to understand that, you know, if it starts to feel like you're working to support that, then you're not, I don't think, in the right path to being a bruja. I think you're just part of a cult that charges you. It's like being in a religion and like having to pay your money, you know, every time they come around. I think being a bruja is about yourself. Um, But that's what started me off to understand that. Then my mom passed in 98 and it was the biggest shame because the family made her think that everything she had done through her brujaness was bad and dark. And that's why she was in essence dying of cancer. At the time, I thought it was so real. So she had to give up her whole shrine 
Um, she had these babalaos that came and took it from her, the people who prepared it for her. And they released her from the religion, quote unquote, like you're going to God without being a santera or whatever. Um, and the priest came afterwards, our like Catholic priest that we've known all our life. And he blessed her and he told her that now she's with God because she's no longer with this religion. It took many years. This is 98 for me to be okay with even talking about my mom being in this religion. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't like a proud bruja, quote unquote. I looked at it as negative as most of the world does, I think, even still today. Um, it wasn't until college that I started to, I wanted to just find myself again. And I was still hurting from that death. So I started to go into deep meditation. I really want to hear more about that. But quickly before we move on, because I know a lot of people probably don't know, your mom practiced Santeria and was a bruja. Are those two things separate for you? So the difference between Santeria and Brujeria, Santeria is actually a religion. You know, it's like being a Catholic. It's like being a Methodist. It's like being a Jewish person. Like, it's a, a full-on religion. What happened was, it's a Yoruban tribe religion. It came from the Yoruba tribe, which is in Africa. The original slaves of Cuba and Haiti, they were African-American people that practiced this. This was their tribe. Um, unfortunately, they were not allowed to practice it freely. So what they decided to do, and it was a very successful campaign for them, they changed a lot of their deities that pertain to Yoruba tribe and made them use Catholic saints um, as a way to disguise what they were doing. Um, brujeria is the practice of spirituality. And with that comes you take different rituals from different places to help tap into that intuition into that side of you that you call a bruja. So going back to when you were in college and you were tapping into the bruja side of things, um, you didn't have your mom to guide you. So how did that come about? For me, it was because I lived in a little small town called West New York, New Jersey. And there actually were a lot of brujas in that neighborhood, a lot of Cuban brujas specifically. And I was taken under the wing of a few of them that knew my mother, loved her, and understood that I wasn't her, but that I still had powers that they wanted to help bring forward. So their whole thing is like, I know you don't want to practice it like this. So why don't you just start praying to your mother and burning? Um, it was always about burning for them. Burning herbs and plants is very much part of every Bruja's ritual. So in our case, it was Palo Santo, which comes from the Amazon, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru. And although that sounds silly, it's what ignited the rest of my other rituals. Um, then I just started to do a lot of research after that. I said, I want to know more and it can't just be Santeria. Like, the, this whole bruja thing is more than that because when I go speak to this lady who's not a santera and she's able to tell me truth that she doesn't know um, through a tarot reading or through a spiritual reading, she's in tune with something else. You know, and I don't know what that is, but I want to know more. I want everyone to understand there's a negative connotation to the word bruja, to the word witch, which means the same thing. And I want to turn that taboo upside down. It's more about empowerment. And with our political climate, I think that's it's kind of like the rise of brujas have come out of that or women wanting to understand it more because it is a collective force that's going to make the difference. I hate the word trend, but I love that it's become something that people are curious about. Okay, so you said that you don't like the word trend, but it definitely is popular. Do you think that this popularity does a disservice to the bruja community? Well, you know, I think that the service comes, um, it's colonization. It's happened for all our lives, you know. So when I see, I was at Standing Rock um, with my co-host Cindy from Arado Lens, and I, we were with the elders of the Lakota and Dakota tribe, and here they are burning sage and creating these very, um, what they call like the holy fire, and you can't, you know, 
And then when you go to Urban Outfitters, like, the week after, and you see the same sage and them trying to package everything to look very, like, spiritual and bruja, you know, it's a little, mm, what can I, it's annoying, you know, that, that they're trying to monetize off a very spiritual movement. Um, but I understand that it's a business as well. So to that I say, it's like, if you are a bruja or a practicing bruja, want to know more about it, don't buy your stuff when it pertains to like spirituality at an urban outfitters. Um, because it's not, it's the energy itself is not even being put into it. It's being mass produced. So you're just getting, you know, this fast, it's like fast fashion, you're getting fast spiritual stuff. And what's good about fast fashion? Nothing. Think of it like that when it comes to consuming spiritual objects and try to go to what they are, the botanicas in the neighborhoods or other spiritual stores that they have all over New York City. So do you think that everyone has the ability to be a bruja? Absolutely. I think that the feminine intuition, the feminine divine is something that women are born with instinctively. So it's like we have it, whether we use it or not, it's really up to us. How do you kind of like refine the power of your intuition? Like what are some steps for doing that? One main thing, and it's done ever everywhere, it's just meditation. You know, and meditation looks like, looks very different for many people, but I think for most of us, it should be about just being in silence with yourself. Journal, 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 journal. Like if you have a journal, if you don't, please buy one, write. Like it's not for the public, it's for yourself. The way you describe it, it almost sounds more just like, healthy coping mechanisms when I think people have an idea that it is very sort of like mystical and like involves like potions and like it can be it can be um yeah I think it's a little bit of both you know I believe in potions I do potions as well I believe in baños which is what the the Spanish people call it so like when women come to me like Nat I've been having really bad luck with work or Nat I've been having so much difficulty communicating um my feelings in a relationship I give them baños and those baños um deal with a lot of herbs, a lot of love, and a lot of um, moon and sunlight energy. You know, I'm a really big believer of the moon. Um, I pray to the moon almost every day. So magic magic is um, plays a big part of all these communication routes that I'm giving. And you have to believe when I'm at my worst and lost, I, I call upon my ancestors and the moonlight and I I sometimes cry like I'm lost. I need this help. I need guidance. Show me the way. I'm asking this from the bottom of my heart, and it's absolutely happened. So you said before that, you know, anyone can be a bruja. But do you think that anyone can call themselves a bruja? Do you think that maybe at a certain point, you know, it takes a certain amount of meditating or research? Yeah, well, I would like like that people who are truly calling themselves brujas are people who are putting in the healing work as well. You know, it's like saying you're a lawyer and you're not practicing law. Like, no, you went to school for law which is great, right? But are you are you still a lawyer? You know, so I think these titles is what keep people not going in deeper, right? If you want to call yourself a bruja, go for it, right? And if you're healing, beautiful. Um, if you're not, then you're a bruja, you're a bruja in practice. And you can say that too, but don't don't claim the word so powerfully if you're not really putting in the work that goes into being this curandera or healer um, or educator to the to other women. You know, being a bruja is not about just yourself. That's what I'm trying to get at. You start with yourself and then you have to go external. Yeah. And I think that we are kind of in this cultural moment where it seems like using the word witch has mm. become kind of just like a... Say it. Yeah. Like I think there was a reductor's headline that was like how to make calling yourself a witch your whole personality. And it, it kind of has lost a little bit of its meaning. But I do think that there are some people who are putting in a lot of the healing work. And, and do you think that the term bruja is that something that can be exclusively used by Latinx people. 
I mean, look, I think that there's black girl magic and there's Native American magic. There's European magic. You know, I, we all start to understand the different powers that we're bringing from all these cultures and where it's at its intersectional feminism. You know, if it's not intersectional, it's racist. I'm Latina, but I have to say, like, there's got to be more breadth, right? If not, then we're just going to segregate all the brujas from one another. And there's no collective power in that. It's our responsibility, I think. That's the only thing I will say. With the word bruja, if you're going to go ahead and take it and own it, truly own it, know the responsibilities that come with it. You know, just don't do it to brand yourself because then then you're just another Urban Outfitters. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank this you, ladies. Really, really enlightening. Thank you, future brujas or fellow brujas. Brujas in the making. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks, Natalie and Christina. You can find Natalie on Twitter at Natalie Farfan. Family connection is often a big part of witchcraft. But unlike Natalie, our next guest, 26-year-old writer Casey Halter, didn't grow up in a household where witchcraft was a regular occurrence. In fact, it wasn't until recently that she learned about her generation's old link to the craft. So Casey, I'm so excited to have you here at the Bustle Huddle. Thanks. So you wrote this amazing story about your um, family and your relationship to witchcraft and how you found out that your grandmother was also into witchcraft. First of all, how did you start getting into this before you even knew your grandmother was interested in it? I can't remember when exactly it was, but it was a couple of years back. I've always been super into sort of like horoscopes and astrology, like ever since I was, you know, 15 years old and like would check my horoscopes in the daily paper. But then when I was around like 19 or 20, I had a friend who introduced me to crystals. And then as I was buying more and more crystals, I started just sort of like displaying them out on my like dresser and sort of just like intuitively building an altar, which is like what a lot of witches have altars in their homes that just sort of like worship certain gods or themselves and like are a place to put all of their magical items. So you have this story about being on Long Island with your family. Why were you there? I go and visit my aunt and uncle every couple of months or so. They're super close, and my uncle and I were drinking bourbon at their dining room table, which we do a lot, and I was just sort of a little bit drunk telling him that I started doing this numerology stuff and how I really spooked out my friend Zach, and he just sort of got quiet. And it's interesting because he's a very gregarious, loud, boisterous person. So to see him get quiet was really interesting. And he just sort of gave me a knowing look and said, I have something to give you. He walked downstairs into his office and he came back up and there was this black handkerchief. And he opened it up and just basically told me, your grandmother referred to herself as a white witch. I think you should have this. It was originally in my office for a lot of years. So he slid the cards across the table to me, and I kind of looked at him in awe. I never really knew a lot about her, and I never knew that she was into tarot or a witch. So at that point, I kind of started on a journey to find out more about her. She was not involved in doing any evil at all. I came away with the impression that she had some sort of an ability and... She wanted to share that ability and not, not in a malicious way. Until that day, I never really knew much about my grandmother, Clara. She's where I got my middle name from. Um, my dad's eyes always sort of went distant whenever she came up in conversation. 
I knew that her maiden name was Marfert, which is like a Swedish German name, that she was an awful cook, and that she was a super strict mother to her sons. Naturally, without being able to ask her about her practice directly, my search started with the, the tarot deck itself. After looking around on the internet, I found that it's commonly known as the Swiss 1JJ tarot. I also discovered through some online sleuthing that Clara's family had immigrated from Switzerland to America around the same time that that deck first came out. The immigration papers that I found on Ancestry.com on her grandmother and grandfather say that they spoke German, which suggests that they likely immigrated from the eastern part of Switzerland. And coincidentally, that's right where the 1JJ deck originated. Swiss Germanic origins would also place the Marforts in an area of the country where, according to a bunch of weird Swiss tourism sites I found, there was like a community of self-proclaimed white witches who were apparently protected from this like nationwide inquisition that hunted down and killed like something like 16,000 people who were accused of witchcraft, most of which, of course, were women. She adored that Black Widow spiders. That's my Uncle Jerry, the one who gave me the cards in the first place. After I started pressing him, he told me all sorts of weird, witchy things my grandma had gotten into during his childhood. For instance, apparently one of her favorite pets was this black widow spider. It was there. It was her pet. Mm-hmm. The uh, I believe it was this either like a, an empty pickle jar or something that um, there was a petition in the neighborhood for us to get rid of it. Uncle Jerry also told me that Grandma Clara loved to travel alone. She visited places like Mexico, Italy, Spain, Portugal, Greece, El Salvador. My grandpa, Jerry Sr., was rarely invited on these trips. The kids were never invited. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. But when my Grandma Clara passed, my dad did inherit one of the female effigy figures she collected on at least one of her trips. Although, as I asked them, no one's really sure what she did with them while she was living. And like a lot of self-proclaimed witches, Grandma Clara was apparently somewhat of a green thumb. She was really good growing African violets. She always had African violets growing. I thought that part was really interesting because African violets are pretty well known in the witching world for their powers of protection. They're also sort of known as a symbol of your spirituality as a witch which was really like fascinating to me because it almost seemed like this proclamation of her witchcraft. Her side of the family is premature white, white hair. Okay. So I, I was always told the story that 
when she was even in her 20s, she had white hair. Aside from sort of her witchy stuff, a lot of the things that my grandma did in her life was just really badass for a woman of her time. She put herself through college by working as like a call girl at Sears. And this was completely against my grandfather's wishes, who was sort of still in the mindset that, you know, women should stay at home and raise children. I don't think I've seen mom in a dress more than a half dozen yeah. times. Uh-huh. In fact, even when stress. mom passed away, yeah. we wanted to have her laid out in it's, jeans and a, in a work shirt. Yeah. And the guy insisted on a dress. And it's, I don't even, so, nobody so would know her. The next voice you're going to hear is my dad. He's clearly the quieter of the two brothers. He ended up telling me a lot that night about my grandmother's tarot readings. And there was the story about my grandmother, scared of her power, giving up her tarot cards and her practice for good. At one time, uh, she was doing a reading, and the message that the cards were conveying was not very optimistic, and she said she did not reveal what the cards indicated, mm-hmm. because I think it was something to do with death. Yeah. The number one rule of tarot is, when you're reading the cards, you have to tell what the cards say. It's a very big tradition in like the witch witchcraft and like clairvoyant world that if you lie to a deck, you can't ever use it again. And so what do you guys think of me working with her tarot deck? I think it's kismet that I finally ended up in your hands. What do you think she'd think of me working with her cards? I think that she'd be delighted. I think she'd probably say, be careful. Okay. What do you think your dad meant by that? I think it's a really interesting thing, actually. I I wonder if my dad actually believes in the power of witchcraft. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of questions here. And I want to know, what would you ask your grandmother now, if you could, about witchcraft? I think the biggest question I'd want to ask her and that I often like try to ask her whether or not it's in dreams or through the cards is what she was protecting herself from. I mean, with the black widow spider, with the the violets that she grew, with a lot of the effigies that she kept, those are all like protection symbols. And I think it was a really interesting time. Obviously, she died at a super young age. You almost wonder if she either foresaw her death or if she knew something bad was going to happen or also just whether or not life was just hard from her. I mean, talking to my uncle and my dad about her marriage with my grandfather, it wasn't a happy marriage. My uncle always says that if she lived a little longer, he had no doubt that they would have gotten divorced. And she was also, like, fiercely independent. So, you know, I wonder if she was protecting herself from, you know, the expectations of society or a husband who didn't want her to get a job. And also just, like, the knowledge that she was different. And she was different in a time where it wasn't really okay to be different. Do you feel like you're continuing her story? by learning more about magic and witchcraft? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up, I never like knew much growing up about her. Um, she was sort of like this painful secret that my uncles always ta- like kind of brought up in passing but never would really talk about. And this year, I feel like through writing this story and picking up her tarot cards and studying her practice, I feel like I know her. Do you think she'd be a member of your coven? 
I think she already is. Every time I cast a spell, you're supposed to call a goddess or a god that you want to sort of talk to or bring their power. And I, I often will mention her as one of the goddesses. I love that. Have you ever had a tarot reading before? I never have. And I'm super curious, but also really scared. Well, I'll give you, if you want, I can give you like a little three card reading or something. With your grandmother's cards? Yes, of course. <laughs> All right, sure, let's do it. All right, I'm going to shuffle first, and then I'm going to ask you to shuffle as well. You always have to grab the cards with your left hand. <laughs> so what is your question for this reading? So in December, I turned 34, and I've been married for a few years now, and so my husband and I are trying to decide if we want to have kids. And I guess that's my question. It's the question I'm asking right now in my life. All right, I'm excited about this. I've never done a baby reading before. <laughs> it's really scary. <laughs> All right, so this is a typical three-card spread. So this is past, present, future. The past is the star reversed. The present is the knight of wands. And the future is the king of pentacles. It's interesting because the star reversed, the star is all about like receptivity and giving. There's sort of like this balance and it's like almost as if that got disrupted. Maybe this conversation that you guys are having is stemming from this feeling that there's something missing. The Knight of Wands is a very angry looking man with a mustache. If you notice, he's looking a different direction from the horse. You guys might be thinking in sort of different directions. Yep. Yeah. To be honest with you, the King of Pentacles as an outcome is really auspicious. I mean, the Pentacles, especially the King of Pentacles, is all about wealth and stability, being a boss and being like really comfortable. I like that card. That's yeah. a good card. It's telling you that if you do decide to have kids, you guys will have prosperity and it'll be good and it'll bring stability into your relationship. That's really wonderful to hear. That's, and it also I think, always the biggest concern. It shows that your husband will be a good father. Thank you so much. I feel so enlightened. I almost <laughs> want to cry. That's really nice. <laughs> that was our producer, Hannah, cheering for me. <laughs> My grandma was very kind to you in that reading. She yeah. like wants you to have babies. Well, I think she was probably a really cool lady. So <laughs> we'd probably get along. I have learned so much, and I feel like that was amazing, and I just want to thank you for writing this story and sharing your story and your grandmother's story. Of course. This was really fun. I hope that she she's hearing this. I did a reading about whether or not I should publish the story, and her warning was I could tell it as long as I told the truth. That's Journalism 101. Yeah. So. <laughs> Thanks again to Casey Halter for sharing her family's story. You can read her piece, How I Found Out My Grandmother Was a Witch, on Bustle. That's it for our show. As Natalie suggests, now is a great time to get in touch with your intuition. Because next week, it's Valentine's Day. And we're celebrating with a hearty dose of reality. I've literally said to guys, I want a man, not a pen pal. You know what Agreed. I mean? They just hit you up. This show is produced by Julia Shu and Anna Parsons. We want to get in touch with you. Tell us what you love about the show, what you want to hear, or just your thoughts on witchcraft. You can reach us at huddle at bustle.com. I'm Caitlin Abbott, and I'll see you next week.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 